1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me. Covering Elder Empire, Shadow Book 3 of Killers and Kings. Chapters 3 four and five. In these chapters, well, everybody's trying so hard to cooperate in these chapters. Everybody really is like, let me, let me just really give it a chance, especially Shara. And it just goes to hell in a way I could never have really seen coming. Welcome to spoil me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Asher for commissioning this episode. Uh, this is <laughs> Asher is saying, I'm excited for these chapters. It was three and four. Oh, going to find out in a sec. Oh, no, five. Got to go review. Yeah. If I had only done three and four, I would have only been covering like 26 pages or something. It was like just not enough. So I had to do the whole next chapter, which is quite long. Um, And maybe it might have been better for me to start with the first episode covering all the way up to chapter three. But what are you gonna do? So this I, I do feel like though, because so much of these chapters is like Shara reflecting on the things that could potentially go wrong here, and they don't necessarily wind up being relevant within these chapters. I think that there is a part of me that can ignore a lot of it and just assume it's not going to be relevant unless maybe later and then we can deal with it. So I don't think it will be a problem, in other words, for me to stay within the time limit and cover this much, even though sometimes that can be a problem for me. So chapter three, we're in the present day. And it opens with a quote from Carrion about how the head of the Alchemist Guild is like the most paranoid person that she has ever met and that they could really learn a lot from him. And then we go into the meeting with the head of the Alchemist Guild. And it starts off first with Shara being, uh, She, she, oh no, I'm sorry. We start before that. We start with her meeting with Maya and Darius. I'm thinking that she gets woken up at the beginning of this chapter, but that's a little later. I had to tell you guys, um, I was thinking about Darius not having a face the other day, and I had a nightmare about somebody whose face disappeared on them. Like it was something that was done to them as a penalty. And I... Fully blame this book series for that nightmare. Um, So they are trying to figure out how they are going to set up this. Extremely delicate negotiation situation. Because. First of all. Having everybody in one place is just a really great recipe for. Oh, they could kill us all at the same time. And they being whoever, but probably elders, just in general, putting everyone in a single location feels like a really bad idea. Then there's also everybody not trusting one another and what they're going to do about weapons and how they're going to go about asking people to disarm, but also ensure that they themselves have the backup they need even without weapons. So if somebody else chooses to attack them, that they aren't going to be caught completely off guard. It's just a lot of balancing a show of good faith with also not letting their guard down. And what I find really interesting about this is how serious Shara actually is about trying to do things in good faith. There's a point at which she's thinking like, oh, here comes the enemy. And she stops and she's like, potential ally, potential ally. And she has to like repeat it to herself. And I really like knowing that as much as she can be, she is really, actually attempting something here that you know seen from the outside because Shara is so close-lipped and unmoving in some ways like she doesn't give a lot of expression it can be hard to read her as we have seen when we're in other people's perspectives who are interacting with her I was really not sure if it w- she was going to be just putting on a show and the whole time privately be thinking, well, yeah, but we'll see. And to a degree, she is saying, yeah, well, we'll see. But there's a real hopefulness. Like, she is thinking, if you force me to, I mean, I'm not going to be caught out. I'm not going to have my pants down. But I really hope that you don't make me do that, because I think this could work. I think that we could function together, you know? um. So... Let's see. I'm trying to read the... On behalf of the independent guilds, the Luminian Order was providing open security while the consultants provided security from the shadows. On the Imperialist side, the Imperial Guard would be performing their usual duties as open security while the Champions Guild provided security that was even more open. It was a logistical nightmare. Um... We can't, we've made some progress. Everyone agrees we can't have you all in one room. That would be at least 16 Imperial leaders, 12 or more of whom are soulbound. And if by, there's a mention of the great elders striking and taking them all at once. And also the fact that if too soulbound, we saw what happened, for example, when Joran went up against Daryllus Teach and the completely unintentional, collateral damage that occurred during one like strike of their weapons against each other the potential for total annihilation of everybody in the building if all these soulbound are in one room also a major problem um and darius says they've agreed to send three representatives a piece not counting the neutral witnesses uh witnesses for us that means one region and the leaders of the two most prominent guilds so nathaniel barius and me said shara at least she wouldn't be the weakest person in the room barius famously relied on weapons and bodyguards he was not a soul bound at least so far as the consultants guild had been able to determine this really gave me pause I don't have any theories. I don't know Nathaniel Barius well enough to make any determination or assertion here. But I just felt like that. It just caught my attention and made me go, oh boy. Because it's become very clear over the past few books that it is not that hard to hide being soul bound. Like fairly frequently people manage to do that. And I... I had just sort of expected that if you are around readers, they will instantly be able to tell. But eventually, like, we get to the part where Calder is trying to figure out what the soulbound object is for, like, Urzaia. And he can't pin it down. And it takes a minute. So I had sort of been relying, again, doing the thing that Shara does, which is readers could basically do anything. I've been sort of relying on the idea that, like, readers are going to keep people honest. But the more we learn, the more I realize that, like, a lot of people who are readers aren't necessarily flawless at it. And if you have something that you keep sort of unobtrusive, like an earring, say, it can go under the radar, quite surprisingly. Um, Like, he was married, Calder was married to a woman wearing a soulbound object In her ear, he was having sex with her, I have to assume, when she had like right near it. And he never picked up on it. And he is like a decent reader. So, yeah, it just made me kind of concerned. I don't like being poked like this. I feel like this is purposeful. So, um, Calder will insist on being there. As for his guild heads... General Teach and Baldazar Kern. It wasn't so much a guess as the only viable option. Either of them could crumple her into a ball with one hand and swallow her whole. Which I really do like how aware Shara is. Like, she is a badass and she does what she does. But she's not, like, fooling herself that her strength is sheer combat. Her strength is sneakiness. Her strength is being unseen, and then doing the thing. And we all have our gifts and, and hers is not just going head first into a hand to hand fight with somebody. Um, so. I love this when they're talking about like escape routes. East window. We secure an escape route at the bottom. If the worst happens, I grab Barius and jump out. Which we find out later is indeed like their plan A. That's their plan A. And we don't find out what the other plans are, but it is described as only being, quote, worse from there. I hope that we'll see how, because shit goes very, very left in chapter five. Um, so Darius understandably expresses some, he, he is worried about Siphren being in Shara's hands when she's at this meeting and she wants to have it with her. And he thinks it's a bad idea because obviously it nudged her into murdering a fucking guildhead once already. And she puts it down as like, not even worth worrying about because there's no getting the nail out as far as they know. And uh, as far as I recall, that is what winds up happening is that the nails, not i don't remember if it's re- like released but i don't think she has that weapon with her so it winds up being sort of a moot point um and Maus talking about how people don't know about bastion barius will surely go in with some alchemical weapons hidden on him and Esther six is an unstoppable one woman army On the darker side, Darius said, if Teach and Kern come to blows with Esther, the entire tower is coming down. Everyone else will die. Calder will be armed with the weapons of the emperor himself. Um, So this is when she's like, yeah, we have to get everybody to disarm. And they argue about her personal safety. But she notes that they don't argue the principle of everybody disarming because truly that is the only option they really have. And when it comes down to it, Maya is like, I just don't like this. I don't like... That it feels, no matter what we're doing, like we're putting ourselves into a trap. And Darius immediately has this like weird moment where he's saying the shadows are stirring. And then the great elders are planning something. They have a hand in this. And I don't know if we're playing into it or against it. I think we find out that pretty clearly shortly. So... And then there's a really nice moment at the end where they're talking about Shara's life being at risk. And Shara says, I am not important. If my life's at risk, then that's a bet we're going to have to make. It's not a big deal. And Maya says, how many friends do you think I have left? And I liked that Maya just being kind of vulnerable for a minute and saying like, that's actually a pretty big deal. And it, bothers me you're acting like it's not because you matter to me and in that moment shara doesn't reply to her out loud she's just thinking to herself no more than i do and i'm afraid we're about to lose some more but she didn't say it and i was like honestly shara the fact that you just like didn't reply to maya i don't know if i would i feel like i'd be hurt if i were in maya's shoes but i don't know maybe that's just what you learn to expect from shara um so then comes the scene where Ayana is waking her up in the morning, forcing her to have this meeting with Nathaniel Barrios, which is super early. And she gets up and strips to take a shower right in front of Ayana. And at the the there's a moment when she's super exciting, excited for hot water, but it's only lukewarm. And honestly, I felt that in my soul. She winds up taking a super quick shower after all, because she'd been really looking forward to something hot. I'm going to assume that it's so early. If they have to light the heaters for the water or something, it's just, it it had only been done half an hour earlier or something. And as a result, when she goes downstairs, her hair is still wet. She's only just got dressed. And when she comes down, there's this, standoff happening between her baby gardeners, which is what she is calling the people who used to work for Max, and Nathaniel Barrios's people. And it's very clearly like, if she doesn't have the, if she didn't have the command in this moment that she does, this could have gone very badly wrong. And the baby gardeners are not Behaving like proper gardeners, they're very aggro. The whole vibe of a gardener who has been trained and is in control is hovering and being a threat but not threatening it you know what I mean like they are around and everybody is aware that they like in a situation like this, for example. Everybody is aware there is somebody here who could fuck me up if I put a foot wrong, but they're not doing anything to indicate that they are about to attack me. They are sitting back and observing and being on guard. And this, where they're actually like growling and waving weapons, it is truly undignified is the vibe I get. Just like this is not how you act. And Barius tries to say, "I wanted to come and see you." They sh- like reacted in this way, which I do understand. Uh, and then I abhor violence. And behind him, his assistants quickly hid a look of astonishment, which I truly love that moment. Um. He said he was going to meet with you if he had to blow your door down, Benji, one of her false gardeners, muttered from one stair beneath her. I believe he would. She'd only met with Berius personally once, but she got the impression of a man who was used to getting everything he wanted immediately, as expected of the richest man in the world. So he tells his assistant Furman. Furman is like, Honestly, if, if Nathaniel Barius turns out to be soulbound, I would be like, he's soulbound to Fuhrman. That's, that's his, like, fucking vessel. Um, but this little scuttling assistant is obviously some of the brains behind the operation. And Nath- Nathaniel tells him to go clear a room. He says it's already done. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I fucking bet it is and indeed it does turn out that they are hiding a creature there and Ayana, she departs to uh places unknown which we find out pretty shortly is to investigate what's going on with this room and what they could have set up and what Nathaniel is telling Shara here the ostensible reason for this meeting is that he has created an elixir that makes you into a champion for several hours, but it takes a little while to actually kick into your system properly. And it leaves you feeling kind of sick the next day, like a hangover. And he wants her to take it immediately right in front of him. Despite knowing that there's no way she's going to agree to that because they want to know what the fuck is in it. She's going to want to have it analyzed. So There's a combination of things happening here. And I'll just touch on one thing that I really enjoy, which is when he shows it to her and says, this is our security measure. He knew she didn't know what it was and he was clearly going to explain. So she asked a different question than the one he was fishing for, which I am so bratty like this, but I will do the same thing. If I feel you are really strongly angling me, towards forcing me into asking you a question when you clearly just want to tell me I will just be so childish and not ask because I don't understand handling people like that. Like Nathaniel in this situation, obviously wants to have the upper hand and show off and prove how like, but there are people who just, that's the way they communicate. And I do not understand because I always am like, I want to tell you a story. So here's the setup. Here's the story. And I just tell it. But there are some people who will say something really like specific because they want to get you to ask them to tell them the rest. And it's like, well, if you clearly want to tell me the rest, So why don't you just like go ahead and tell the story? And so I will dig my heels in, even though it's not reasonable. And I know that I'm being a little bitch because I just... Hate that style of communication. Just share with me like a person. Just, you know. So anyway, this whole thing with him is just so tiring. Like, honestly, that's his vibe for me is he is an exhausting person. And it does not get any better later on. So um, this is when she says that, you know, I'm going to take it from you and get it analyzed. So why don't we just cut to the chase? And she says, there's no point in pretending. Um, and she says, if it's poisonous, I will kill you. Too late to take it back. If that is what you say it is, I might still drink it. And he laughs and says, I like you, but I don't like being threatened. So I have prepared myself. And he has his assistant whistle and the ceiling crumples. And then there's this monster that's already dead. And Ayana is on top of it with her shears buried in it going, oh, is this yours? And Nathaniel says, consider your point made. And I couldn't help but wonder if that was actually an attempt or if that was for show. I can't decide like that feels so obvious. And it's such a wild thing to me. I am. I don't like being threatened. So I've planted this massive chimera monster. Which feels crazy. And I can't tell. Is that just how bonkers he is? Or is this part of him pretending to be a type that he is? I don't think he's that. Mm, I don't know. Um, Let's see. Asher says. Nathaniel is adaptable in his outward manner in a way that makes me incredibly suspicious. Ayana fucking with the creature he'd planted would have made anyone else shake a bit in his boots. He just rolls with it. See, yeah, that's what I was thinking, Asher. Same thing. It's just the kind of like, he just goes, oh, you made your point. And he doesn't seem at all threatened. Like, I don't know. It was just a weird reaction. But what are you going to do? So then we go to chapter four, and this is a weird one. So we go to five years ago. The emperor has been killed. It's been six months. The capital is like a complete fucking disaster. It's just anarchy out there. It's like the purge. Everybody is like getting into bands to for protection from other bands of people. Places are completely ransacked and being burned down after being looted It is like all these businesses are boarded up. It's just a fucking nightmare. It's like The Walking Dead. And Shara is looking out over this. And she is here on assignment. And this is one of those moments where I have to keep reminding myself about how the consultants are not a government body. I know That they have clients and we see them working with clients. But because so much of what Shara does was working with the Emperor, I keep thinking of them as being a branch of the way they govern instead of an independent contractor that was hired because the Emperor needed something really specific. So every time I find out that they're just doing something straight up for money for whoever can pay them, it's a little bit of a shock to be reminded that that's actually how they work. And so this, like, it took me a minute to understand what was happening here. Um, So they are watching this, like, this situation that's sort of unfolding. Um, There's a couple guards who really look like shit. Like they have been on watch with no brakes. And a door cracked open near them and the guard whipped the gun around, shouting at the citizen to return inside. The door slammed shut, dislodging a shower of charred wood from the door frame. Neither guard relaxed for another 20 seconds, scanning the street around them in case the careless citizen had really been the distraction for an ambush. Which, honestly... The fact that they are aware that this could just be a distraction, it I mean, that's obviously part of that's just training. But it really gives the impression that they have been gotten or almost got a couple times recently and they've learned their lesson. Um, so... She the uh, there's a shepherd that she is paired with. And I'm not sure that we ever get that shepherd's name, actually, now that I think about it. And. She is talking to this guard, to this shepherd about the gates being rammed Um, gardener, the roof beneath them trembled under a great impact. I get it. Let's go. Assume primary positions, prepare to signal the masons, and move the decoy into place. Start the cleaning crew in the attic. The cleaners are on standby until the area is secure. Get them started. They'll be fine. The shepherds assigned to cleaning duty usually had no experience in combat and certainly wouldn't be equipped for it. Standard procedures suggested they should be kept in reserve until the fighting was over, but there would be no fighting. She was following guild doctrine today, so she had prepared three possibilities. A primary plan, a backup plan, and an emergency plan. None involved open battle, at least not from the cleaning crew. This is not actually how this goes, unsurprisingly. And the faster this towering capital home was cleaned, the more impressed their client would be. So they are watching this like group that is going to come in and loot the place. And th- it says there were 86 malcontent men and women down there. Some were survivors of the original band that had faced Albert security. And some had joined in after they saw the gate of a towering mansion broken open. The siege of Kingston household had lasted two days and was well into its second night, but was about to break. Now a team of men carried a massive trunk of battering ram between them. And according to shepherds and masons, the ram had been looted from a military museum and was therefore heavily invested with intent to break down barriers. So these people are busting in and she has them fire basically like bombs that will knock them out. Because she is trying very hard not to kill everybody, which is actually what Yala advised her to do. Yala wants them to make an example of these people to impress the client. So she's just like, show them how incredibly, like, stone cold we are. And Shara doesn't want to do that and feels like, Why? These people aren't responsible for the situation that they're in. This is, they're like at the whim of the decisions of other people. They aren't useless and they're not bad or irredeemable. They're in a bad situation. So no, I'm not going to just kill them all. Um, and it takes a lot more effort and is more expensive to not kill them. So she recognizes that this is going to be like a fucking problem that she's probably going to be talked to about later. But she's going to just do what she thinks she should do. And I feel like this is very much the influence of Lucan, because I don't know that Shara a few years earlier would have made the same call. But so there are a bunch of... um, masons as it turns out that are like mixed in with these rioters as well which i found pretty fun i keep forgetting how much they're like how much they infiltrate things and when they go down uh to or they're viewing like the whole situation all of a sudden there is the sound of a sparrow and everybody freezes because oh god i'm sorry guys i don't know why i had a timer off (laughs) It's. I clicked repeat, that's why, because I just did it again. Um, but this sparrow sound is a signal that there are enemies coming. And so what they had been going to do was like cart all of the bodies away. And it looks like it went spe- like perfectly according to plan. But then this other group shows up and it completely changes the game. So... This is one of those sort of roving bands. There's no predicting when they're going to turn up. And they come on the scene and just find the place almost busted into with a bunch of people who have been knocked out, who are also ripe for looting as well as they are completely unconscious and down already. And this is uh, this is something that I'm really curious if we are ever going to get an explanation or if it's just going to turn out to be like, okay, so I'm going to tell you what happens. And then I'm going to tell you my theory because I'm a fucking, I am super suspicious at this point in this in these books. So this group shows up. There is the guy saying, Hey, we've got a ripe one. Let's do this. The rest of the gang shows up seems to be about like 16 or 17 people. And they're assessing the situation and they figure out what, what knocked these guys out. And Shara is thinking, okay, well, the shepherds are really good at keeping low and taking cover. So I'm going to trust they can extricate themselves from this situation while these people are looting all of the other bodies. And, This will just be a chance for all of them to show off. And then one of this street crew bashes in the head of one of the rioters who has passed out. And all of a sudden, all of them are just like, yeah, we're killing everybody. And Shara hasn't got any idea why, because there is no signal given the man who initiated this. He didn't give an order or anything. It just he did it and everybody has had already sort of seemed to be on board. And some of them weren't like as into it. But it was like without question, they were definitely going to kill them all. And so she has to have them engaged in combat after all, which is not what she wanted. Now, this is just me being suspicious of Yala at this point. But Yala really wanted Shara to kill them. All of these rioters. And Shara was planning to not do that. And then these people who just happened to show up with perfect timing to completely ruin what was going to be a bloodless plan. I'm just saying, this feels like Yala. This just feels like some shit she'd do because she wanted it to go away that she wanted it to go, did not appreciate that Shara was planning a different thing. And decided she was going to force the issue. And I think that's why everybody started like attacking these unconscious people without ever having to have a signal because they were on assignment. I think that these people were planted here. And. I don't know if they realized what a suicide mission they were on, but regardless, I mean, you could probably just take this crew and offer them money to go and like check a thing out or like plant the idea in there. You probably don't even need to bribe them. Just like have somebody mention, oh, did you see everybody went down out in front of that giant mansion full of loot? And I would just send them over in that direction. I feel like this is highly suspicious. Just the whole way this went down. And long story short, the Consultants Guild like wins, but they're not all trained fighters. So it's not like a series of really clean kills that are quick and done. There's a lot of missed stabs and just things, you know, things just like kind of being messier than they really need to be. Um, and there's a guy who almost gets Shara and this dude gets his, Hands cut off by Lucan's uh, dagger. Let's see, one hand, because uh, the guy is about to pull the trigger on her. And he asks her if she's hurt. And she's like, mm, I'm only hurt enough to get us off duty for a while. And he's like, oh, actually, it's pretty good. Perfect chance to get a look at their archives. Lucan had a question stuck between his teeth and he hadn't stopped fiddling with it for half a year. If that isn't the best way to say that I've ever heard. Oh my God. It just immediately made me think of like being in the movie theater and I just had popcorn and there's a piece of popcorn stuck in my teeth and how like the entire movie you will be half focused on the movie and half focused on trying to get this fucking piece of popcorn out of your teeth. That is just such a good way to say that to me. Um, Why had the high council wanted Shara to kill the emperor ahead of schedule? Because Yala has something going on with the elders. I have to assume at this point, something is janky here. I don't like it. And the fact that Shara was supposed to die after the killing of the emperor, like that was, she would have fulfilled her function and should have been taken off the board according to like Kellerac. I just, I don't know. I feel like Yella is mixed in with this somehow. And maybe she's not aware she is. Maybe she's a fucking sleepless. Like, I genuinely have no idea. But something is messy in there. And I'm, mm. Um. So, let's see. She says, don't spend all your time in the library. And he says, of course not. I have to read the rest of the island, too. Shara almost stabbed him. And that's the end of that chapter. So now I've got a nice 20 minutes, 22 minutes to talk about just chapter five. All I have to say about chapter five, the first question I have is there is a mark on Calder's arm that was given to him by Kellerak. We have seen this mark, right? This is something that happened that has been there for a minute, right? And apparently he has just managed to hide it effectively up till now. It's not new is my point. I just want to make sure. Um, Oh, sorry. In the chat, George says, isn't it a part of how they are governed? The emperor was their number one client and built the guilds into their society. Sure. And like that's, but they still, you know what I mean? Like I keep thinking of them as like the military and that's just not actually true. Um, Asher says, without the Emperor, they're suddenly more of a free agent, but they're so used to being part of his plans and governing style that clearly they're not really just really ready to step back into being only hired help. Um, George says, in a world of intent, a museum feels like a crazy concept to me. True. And George says, yes, it's how he got better control of the Leviathan. Thank you, George. I was like, I remember him getting this mark, but I couldn't like put my finger on how that worked. So basically, the whole gathering here is like the planning of it, trying to figure out what it is the elders want. And if they're trying to make us do a thing, should we do the opposite? Or is that what they want us to do? And basically, them getting together here, the whole question was, the elders are doing something. And Darius is like, they clearly, they're mixed up in it. But I just don't see what it is they're planning. And their theory is that the elders do not want unification of the guilds. Well, the elders would encourage this exact incident, wouldn't they? They would want everybody in one place to all see how Calder, the emperor, kind of, the emperor is marked with Kelorak's mark. And there is no surer way to suddenly have it be that nobody trusts anybody. This is ideal, actually, for splitting the guilds up. And it's a shame because it really seems to have worked completely. Like, there is no question. And especially being in Shara's head and seeing how much she is willing to give Calder the benefit of the doubt... Shara is astonishingly reasonable. It's almost like, is there something going on? Because I, I kept wondering if she was being influenced because she is so much more receptive to Calder and willing to give him respect. than I was thinking she would be that a part of me almost felt like a little suspicious of that, but she seems to truly understand that he isn't, the one who killed Lucan. And there's an overall like attitude that he has that she keeps thinking of him as this incredibly egotistical sort of child, which granted I do too. It's not just you, Shara. And I, I constantly say that in the show about how like he'll surprise me by being fucking reasonable, but she is starting to see that, Actually, he is trying and that there is a sense to all of this of him realizing the gravity of the situation and what they're actually up against. And she has a moment where she's remembering him fighting the handmaiden and is like, yeah, this man has like seen things the way that I have seen things. So I really think actually that he gets it and what he is doing is in good faith. Um. And it's just such a bummer because I was getting really excited that she seemed so open to a conversation with him. And then this happens and blows it all to hell. And I have no idea what is going to happen in this fight because the prediction has been basically that the entire building is going to go down. And I have to assume Shara's got fucking – she has taken the potion that Nathar- Nathaniel gave her. I almost called him Natharius, a combo of Nathaniel-Barius, I guess. But I think Natharius is actually kind of a dope name. So if anybody wants to write that down. um, But he has – he gave it to her and he has also taken it is my understanding. And she has a kind of vibe that he probably took it sooner than her. So he is more acclimated by the time this meeting begins than she will be and will possibly be more powerful than she is. That's that's questionable because the thing is that Shara also just has like amazing combat experience to begin with. And I don't know if he has any training like that. So she'll certainly be bringing that to the table. So whether he's actually physically stronger or not may not be the actual important thing here. But if, if everybody makes it out mostly alive, I like to think that Shara is going to think back and realize that this could have very well have been a situation that the elders decided to put in place and maybe they should do the opposite. The thing is because of exactly the kind of suspicion that's on Calder right now, it, that may not happen because the suspicion is that he is being fully controlled by Kellerac. And there is, No reason for anybody to think that he's not. It really there isn't. Like at one point, Teach says something about how we like you know sequestered him and watched him and did tests, and he isn't showing any signs of being under Elder control. And I just was like, I mean, girl, that sounds like something, but you have to know that's nothing. I just you do know, right? That's why you guys haven't been upfront about any of this. Um, so that, this is what I'm like wondering is, will Shara step back and be like, are we dealing, are, are we doing the exact thing where we're playing into their hands by letting what happened break us apart? Or is the very fact that he is like, perhaps being controlled by an elder, the thing that we were worrying, like, you know, and... I don't know how that's going to come out, but I'm very curious about it because she just did seem so very close to being cool with him. Um. So anyway, I just wanted to talk about that off the top because I, it's just so frustrating. It's just they were so close. So the chapter begins with uh, Jordan telling her that it's safe to drink and she does. He has a disguise and he says it won't burn us if we've got one extra region in our pocket. And she's kind of like, I was really hoping that we'd actually secretly have two regions. And he says rebels are buzzing up a hive in Axis. I'll tell you one thing Loralee can't resist. And that's a cry of distress. Yeah, that sounds suspicious. Also, a very particular thing that would cause this one particular regent who is kind of well-known for, like, putting conflicts to rest and wanting peace and being reasonable, calling her away. And leaving behind the two regents who seem like they would be the least tolerant of... Like, come on. Um. So... Personally, Shara thought Laura Lee could have waited one more day before running off to another continent, but it was too late to ask her opinion now. And this just already I was like, oh, this is not going to go. This isn't going to it's going to be bad. So. Hundreds of uh, wary eyes watched them from windows on the Capitol streets, but only a handful had gathered to watch them. They hadn't publicized their route beforehand inside the palace itself, though, thousands had gathered. And the people in the palace are, as she puts it, not angry exactly, but they did not look happy. Uh, And she's talking about the difference between the people who are just out in the capital, and the people who work in the palace. And that A lot of the people born in one community or another just never mix with anybody on the other side of this wall and that really sounded true to me that felt like the kind of thing that would happen you just get used to your little pocket of reality and you don't mix around with the rabble perhaps if you're somebody inside the palace or the snots if you're the rabble um and she is feeling a little bit anxious about the overall vibe of the people and just there's a sensation of like maybe they're they're going to become a mob because they don't like the guilds right now they're feeling away and uh maya has to reassure her yeah we've got like an exit in place so they continue on inside and the alchemists were in the lead, led by Barius and Furman. Uh, they were half actual alchemists, half private army that Barius had hired, and Shara had made sure a heavy dose of his recruits were secretly her Masons. Which honestly, I c- just can't like every every they're in everything. The fucking consultants. Barius passed her and gave her a long look up and down, then an exaggerated wink. He was indicating that he knew she'd taken the potion. She hoped. Peace talks might stall if it was discovered that Barius had unexpectedly committed suicide. I really liked the idea that it had nothing to do with the potion, and he was just like, Ooh, girl, look at you. Mm. That gray, that hood i'm about it but probably not (laughs) so um the green wardens were next and even in her capacity as one of the independent guild leaders shara had precious few interactions with them their guild head thomas stillwell was a pleasant man with a gentle smile and tousled auburn hair who always spoke as though soothing an animal A green vine with wide green leaves grew all over his body, looping around him and providing some shade for his wheelchair. All green wardens wore wore those living vines as a badge of honor, though Shara didn't know if they were the product of awakened objects or some kind of alchemical technique. And that I am fascinated by. I appreciate it being acknowledged that we really don't know anything about the green wardens because it is something that got brought up earlier this book and I'm kind of like, yeah, what's up with them? So very curious about that. Um, So. Esther six uh, has a moment where she says, we'll get there a few minutes before the imperialists. They're trying to make us wait, but it gives us the, the advantage we can make them walk through us. Shara eyed her. Is that necessary? She hadn't expected Esther to be someone who played games. Anything that might give us an edge. So this is funny to me because Shara Shara has times in the midst of all of this where she's very aware that she's playing a role and she's going to do her best to play it. And she has to have a certain carriage and way of speaking and a mystique to maintain. And she knows that. And then there's moments like this where she's describing something as playing games and I'm like, yeah, Shara, of course it is. That's all of it. It's the whole thing. Like she seems to think that there's times for games and then times to not. And it's like kind of always times for games really. And I just guess that she doesn't really want it to be true. So she's just going to pretend it's not. Um, Political theater, man, it's very important. Read Dandelion Dynasty. Um, So she says something about how Esther has probably done this kind of thing before. And she's like, yeah, well, I did help build the empire from scratch. And that is not just getting into fistfights with elders. So, yes. And uh, she says, I like our odds. A little blood spilled on both sides, but not so much. It can't be cleaned up. I've seen worse than this ended with a treaty if we're dealing with people and Shara is like yeah that's the thing what should we look for and she she says basically what we know which is like Ergna will probably do like a little bit of brainwashing um Akhmagu is dead again, but who knows what he has or hasn't foreseen. Kellerak likes to buy people. If we suspect someone of reporting to him, we can track down their behavior, see if they have any cult connections or if they've stolen any private artifacts, which is just hysterical because that's everything that Calder has ever done. Um, and then Esther says something about how. She's will spill an ocean of their kind of blood until the stars themselves drown, and Shara is like, "Yo, what was that?" And then Esther goes, "Oh, that was actually a quote from Heart Like a Churning Sea, which is a play about me and you know the creating of the empire, and I'm a character, and that's like one of my lines." And Karen slips Shara a note about how Candle Bay Playhouse still does that play every summer. For Shara to like make conversation about it. So I guess this is them trying to sort of court Esther or get her more solidified as an ally. And Esther says to Shara, we should go see it. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's just a. Hey, it would be fun because we've been talking about it or her kind of being interested in Shara. It's possible, you know, I don't know. Um, But there's no real like description of her body language or tone when she says it. So I think it might just be nothing. So this is uh, when Calder Martin comes in and it says she was somewhat surprised to see he hadn't come in a carriage or litter. His red hair was neat and combed, his short beard trimmed, and he had adopted an appearance of poise and confidence. He had chosen not to dress like the emperor, which she respected. He wore much the same thing she had seen him in before—a long brown coat over a white shirt and blue pants, the clothing of a navigator captain. Instead of a hat, though, he wore a crown, and not the fake silver crown that his body double had worn at the fake coronation in the imperial—the fake coronation the imperialists had hosted a week or two before. Which I really do hope that we get to see some of that in Calder's book because. The fact that he won't have been at the real coron like, well, it'll be a fake coronation, but I'm just dying to know how that went. Um, She had to wonder if that was a deliberate threat toward her. To one side of him stood Jerala's teach, and she is still very not pleased with Shara. You know, it's uh, been years now and she has not forgiven her. And Shara isn't mad about it. She's just kind of like, I get it. I did what I had to do. I don't feel guilty about it. I know I did the right thing. But also you have every right to be angry at me. And that's just going to be what it is. Sometimes it just do be like that, though. Um, And then we have uh, the head of the Champions Guild and he has just got a much more like aggro look. Teach has a sort of polished professional thing going on and he does not at all. And he has a leather satchel. Um, Shara was sure it contained his soul-bound vessel reputed to be the helmet of his armor, which allowed him to enter a powerful b- berserk state. Um. So they all hand over their weapons and it seems like they really did like in a show of faith, actually do this. And they begin to, uh, the. <laughs> there is this moment here. Um, Esther turned to General Teach. Teach, I heard you gave Jorn a beating with his own sword. The way Shara had heard it, the two swords had clashed and everyone had been lucky to escape with their lives. But she respected Esther giving face to the guild head. Although Teach had paled. And her voice trembled. No, I didn't. I mean, it was hard fought. I had lots of help. help. Shara thought she heard a gulp. What had happened to Teach? And for a minute, I'm like, oh, my God, is this somebody else on Caller's like, crew disguised to look like Teach? Is that a thing they can do in this world? I genuinely thought, is this just not Teach? And then all of a sudden, Shara is like, oh, my God, she's fangirling. She's meeting a girlhood hero and was not ready to be, like, spoken to with any sort of admiration. And she does not know what to do. And I like that it says Esther pretended not to notice, which is probably if you're somebody like Esther, you run into this a lot. And so you just have to be cool about it. And I really do enjoy this moment. I I hope it's exactly what it looked like and that Cheryl wasn't misinterpreting and it's some whole other thing. But this just made me laugh because I was just imagining who, it, you know, somebody like that I might know that I admire saying anything like this to me. I couldn't even like think of a person as an example. But then being like, hey, I heard that you were a complete badass about this thing. I mean, That's it. That's that's the end of my book. I'll end with that. I'd be perfectly happy. Um, so we have more of fucking Barius. It turns out nobody has told Shara about the way that Barius's like entire guild broke faith. Um, Eight out of 10 of the alchemists supporting my guild canceled their contracts. And I know why. And it's very much implied it was under his command. And he says it was that was bad business, I admit. But everything's on the table now, isn't it? Shara wasn't sure what that meant. And I was like, yeah, because it doesn't really mean anything. Basically, it's just like water under the bridge where we all have a common enemy. Can't we just put that aside? But it's not saying that. And that feels exactly right because he doesn't talk straight, you know. Um, so finally, Calder is like, look, guys, everybody has fucked everybody else over. We all have done it. We got to put that aside right now. And she's kind of like, all right, Yeah. That's definitely how I feel. I'm all right. I'm feeling this. And um, she is watching him and it says this is her chance to figure out whether she could work with him. The man whose wife had killed Lucan. Though Esther was supposed to lead Shara and Barius in, Shara took the lead, falling in step with Calder. He looked at her with surprise. When this is over, we need to talk. And they have a little back and forth joke about whether it's easier if you see the knife and Chara is like, she hadn't found that to be true. It was a lot. People seemed happier when they didn't see death coming. And I was like, 100%. Yes. If my death is going to be like sudden, I feel like I would massively prefer that than hearing, Oh, like you have eight months to live and just watching the fucking countdown. Um, And by the end of this interaction, she seems to have a lot more faith in him. And Honestly, there is a bunch of negotiating here that I'm going to low-key skip because it isn't going to be sustained, I have to assume. So it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But there is just, it's a a lot of sort of back and forth, getting down to the fact that the regents want to go back to sleep. And they're sort of banking on getting this, empire to a place of some stability and then bailing and i mean they it seems like if you are destined to be woken up intermittently you would just always want to be going back to sleep and it makes me wonder about shara you know i just she i know it's so literal but the fact that she sleeps so much it just feels like something i don't know i keep going back to this um so I'm like I said, I'm going to skip a bunch of this, but I want to read the actual moment where Esther notices what's going on with Calder because everybody's making negotiations amongst themselves. And it has to be Shara who's like, Hey y'all um, I know that you guys are talking about how you're going to make this work and that's fine. But also can we talk about the elders? Because that's the actual problem. And I think it's the head of the champions who, like, gives her a nod and is sort of like, yeah, thank you for getting this back on track, because that's the actual issue we really should be focusing on. And then we have the ends of Esther's hair had begun to drift upward. And I was like, word? What? What happened to your arm, Stuart? Ah, yeah, this. <laughs> Uh, I have nothing to hide from you, Regent, and I would love to get your guidance on this. Mark, after the meeting is over, roll up your sleeve. Uh, As you suspect, I I did receive this from an elder, but he has no influence over me. I assure he lost his breath as Esther's hair and coat began to blow in the beginnings of a storm. Even separated from their vessel, Soulbound didn't lose all their power, and Esther's rage was stirring up the tiny remaining fraction of her gifts. She looked like she was about to leap on Calder and tear him apart. Sheriff felt sick. If he's a tool of the Great Elders, then peace might never have been possible in the first place. And she knows the mark, that it's Kellerax's mark. He put, he placed it on his favorite slaves. His soul belongs to Kelarek and he will not leave this room alive. And this is when Kern is like, Teach said that there's not a problem and she does the whole thing. And Esther says, I will read the truth from him myself. And I've, I was like, oh, okay. If she just reads him, then she'll see And I don't know why I thought that because like Caller isn't even sure of himself. So who knows what she would fucking find. And also, I'm just trusting her that she's just going to read him. And it says she reached out and whatever she was about to learn, Shara suspected Caller wouldn't survive. And I was like, oh, yeah, that actually does make more sense when I stopped to think (laughs) about it. So Kern grabs her arm. And tries to stop her. And she just pushes him back and his armor starts to crack and he falls to his knees. And Teach tries to tackle Esther and bounces off her, completely ineffectual. And then Shara says Calder had been an elder puppet from the beginning. And if Esther hadn't noticed, They would have fallen right into Kellerak's hands. And I'm like, but would you? But would you? And then Esther punched Baldazar Kern through the stone floor. And that's how the chapter ends, kids. And I am just... I really do feel, too, about earlier when shara was thinking who called her brought and if anybody was going to be able to protect him from a region it would be those two and apparently fucking not apparently esther is just on a level that i don't know that anybody quite realized you know or maybe it's the kind of thing you've heard and you sort of intellectually believe but it's very different to see it in front of you because the fact that she can push down her strength is outweighing the strength of a champion is insane. I'm just, I'm deeply upset. This whole thing ends so badly. Every, like everybody was trying so hard to be good, except for Nathaniel. Fuck him. But you know, everybody else, I really think they were trying their best and uh, Calder, Why didn't you just wear something that I have to imagine her noticing the scar? Like, because the room is really warm. And he keeps shifting and rolling his sleeves and stuff in response to the heat of the room. And Shara is thinking to herself about how they maybe they picked this room on purpose as like a psychological thing. And I'm just like, is this part of the elder thing where they made it so that he would roll his sleeve up? They, they created an atmosphere that would force him to show the skin. And they, then somebody would see it. I'm too suspicious. I don't know. Maybe I'm not too suspicious. The elders are fucking tricksy, man. I don't know. Anyway, I'm over time as usual, but I still feel I did a pretty good job covering a very long section. So I'm all right. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys all so much for listening. Thank you to Asher for commissioning this episode. Appreciate you, Asher. Um, thank you to Will White, who retweeted that I was covering this book uh, earlier this week. What? And I will be seeing you all again soon with a new episode. Until then. Toodaloo, motherfuckers!